Welcome, everyone, to the AI and Business Podcast. I'm Matthew DeMello, Senior Editor here at Emerge Technology Research. Today's guest on the program is Alan Bame, Chief Technology Officer at H&M. Alan has also served at a number of Fortune 500 companies, assisting them through their digital transformations, including Coca-Cola and Procter & Gamble. Alan joins us on the program today to discuss emerging challenges in retail, from micro-generational trends to the incentive for brands to share greater amounts of consumer intelligence. Without further ado, here's our conversation. Alan, thank you so much for being with us on the program this week. Well, thank you for inviting me. I'm looking forward to this next hour. Yes, yes. So you're at a particularly unique place with H&M, working in in retail and fabric and fashion. And something I, I think that we've been missing in terms of our content is really just getting one of these, you know, a logo that we see at the mall all the time and really getting their perspective about what's going on in retail and in the biggest trends that we're seeing. So just from your vantage point, what do you see as the biggest challenges currently facing retail leaders in the space today? When we look at retail, you know, we have to look at this on a global basis, because I think many times as an American, we look at it through American eyes. When we're in Europe, we look at it through European eyes. Retail is not the same everywhere in the world. When you look at the, what's going on in the United States, convenience is driving the behavior of consumers. When you look at it, what's going on in Europe, it's not as much about convenience. It's more about the experience of where you're going to be. So we have this thing going on in the world today where we have to sort of merge and morph. How do we become convenient? How do we provide new, unique experiences? How do we have the same high quality products that are right for the given markets, given time zones, given given geographies, given different different parts of the year with, with in the different hemispheres? It hasn't really changed, but it's sped up because of technology and the digitization of consumers and the use of cell phones the use of coming up, use of AI, and also because of the digitization of the corporations themselves. Absolutely. You're, you're actually, you're, you're blowing my mind a little bit here, but just because my previous backgrounds, global taxes, we talk all the time about, you know, it's a little different, but we, we call it localization. And I think in how we've been talking about personalization in the retail space, unfortunately, just because it, we put it right down to the individual, we can't help but talk about it in monoliths, just as you were saying in that answer with, you know, we look at Americans and Europeans the same way because we're just we're, we're thinking so granularly about individuals. We end up talking about these spaces in a different way. But just even those differences between regions, what are we seeing in the data, you know, versus even different regions of the world in terms of like the kind of experience that they want to have in retail? You know, I think the pandemic had a lot to do with this as well. Sure, changed yeah. this. I'll, give, I'll give you an example of what happened during the pandemic. It was, you know, all the schools in the United States were pretty much closed down, right? And everybody was, all the kids were working at, were, were taking their lessons at home. In different countries in Europe, people were still going to school. People were going, working in a, in a hybrid mode. And I happened to ask a friend of mine's daughter, who I think she was seven at the time, I said, What's the future of shopping going to look like for you? Let's let's look at the future here, you know. And she's been home doing Zoom calls and everything with school. And I gave her a little assignment. She's at the end of the day, she said, "You know, I have learned that I can take my friends with me anywhere I want to shop on my phone." 
I can get real-time information. If I'm trying something on, I can see what my friends think about it and if they like it or not. So that influences me and influences what I may want to buy. I am no longer tied to just going into a physical store because I can look online. And if I see something I like, if I happen to be in the store, if they don't have the exact same thing, I can start looking for that. So I think that the advent, and especially we're seeing it with the youth, the advent of the cell phone combined with the connectivity of the internet and just ubiquitous access that you get now through the internet, now coming up with AI, especially the LMM models, is going to dramatically change the shopping experience for everybody forever. We are in this point of inflection. We are there. People are still very demanding, but they also want to be individuals. You talked about personalization. It's who am I and how do I appear to the world? And how does the world react to how I appear is what's important. Right. And even even here, we know where the trends are going. It's Gen Z. We can't help but talk about it in a monolith of that. Yeah, this is a generation, especially 15, 16 year olds today, if I can get really specific. Why do I say 15, 16 year olds? Because that's when the cell phone came out. So you're talking about a generation of kids that has never known a world not just without the internet, not just without, without, et cetera. They have not known a world without algorithms, period. And like having no, this you're, technology you're, in, our, in their pockets. No, you're, you're absolutely right. I was actually at a hotel on vacation in Florida a couple of weeks ago. And by the elevator, they had a table. And on the table, they had an old dial telephone. And up, and because it was, it was a hotel that had trended from the 1920s, it was right. 75 years old. And this boy and his family came up and the boy was staring at this thing on the cabinet there. And he asked his mom, what is that? And he re realized <laughs> he had never seen a dial telephone before. Wow. And he was a, probably about 14 years old, just as you're saying in that age group. But it never had even come to his mind that there was such a thing. And he wanted to know how it worked. Wow. So we have really changed. And I think sometimes, depending on what generation you're, you're part of, we take for granted that people have had the same experiences. And the experiences of the people that are shopping and buying things are so much different right. than others than the, the people that I grew up with. That we always have to keep ourselves fresh, new, and keep ourselves young by hanging around with all these people because they're the ones that are not just setting the trends. They're the ones that are going to be predicting the trends for the future. Absolutely. But still even to, you know, not treat them as a monolith. I mean, even your pandemic example really touches on this. I don't think we can just say wholesale that, you know, this is going to be a, a generation of individuals that are wholly uninterested in in-person experiences. Just their relationship with in-person experiences is going to change. It's going to be more poignant. This is, you know, and then I, I can roll out, you know, another zillion statist statistics of Gen Z being, you know, like they've because they've been inundated with this technology for their entire lives. They have just a different relationship with exercise, with going outside, et cetera. It's just fundamentally different. What trends are we seeing for the brick and mortar spaces just in terms of even complementing where we're seeing folks get more digital, maybe by their age range, maybe by different trends, especially in light of pandemic, which I know had a had a big effect, especially on <laughs> where we are in physical spaces and especially brick and mortar. Well, I mean, expectations from the from the consumer on the brands to do more and to be more digital have, have never been higher. Right. You know, a few years ago at another company, and we're seeing this now applied elsewhere, is the use of augmented reality 
as part of your shopping experience. Whether it's not just for marketing, but it's how is this going to outfit going to look into this experience? You start looking at bringing music in because it's about people's senses and people mm-hmm. feel comfortable with the music and they want to interact with that. You can see what's happening to say with TikTok and thinking of TikToks that are being shot in retail stores now by consumers because they're finding something that they want to share. So all of this is coming together and it's just, it's moving as fast as possible. What's going to happen when, when the VR headsets really take off? What is that going to do to the experience? We're in the, in the area of change. The thing for corporations is we have to find a way to embrace this, to be able to create those experiences, do it in a way that's still profitable and do it in a way that's going to provide new opportunities and new products and services to be delivered for what people want. Yeah. What I especially appreciate in that last answer and something we don't talk enough about, especially as we get into augmented or VR, is we still look at it as either or. They're not going to go in the stores if they can wear the headset and shop from home. And in your last answer, that's we already see that with the TikTok videos in the stores that for the time being, that's not really how it is. You're just going to see a blur of the lines between brick and mortar and digital as we go forward. Really, really interesting stuff. But just in terms of the specificity of how fast these trends are changing, how much it's, you know, a delineation of specific demographics, not even just like, you know, taking an entire generation for granted. How does a company like H&M or your dominant logos in this space, how do they demonstrate the versatility or how do they build the systems to be versatile enough to personalize all of those experiences right down to the individual, even outside of just taking consumer data, but making making themselves as an organization, you know, be able to provide an individual music experience, let's say, you know, going into the future with with AR and, and VR. Well, you know, I think everything evolves around data. I think what I call the data oligarchs, which are you know the, the old Facebooks and Googles and and Amazon, they've already proven it, that the data is is not a commodity. Data is a, a currency in, in itself. Now, what the brands like H&M and others do is we really respect and protect our consumers' data. We are mm-hmm. going to make sure, and every major brand that I know of does a very, very good job of protecting the data and applying GDPR, applying personal identifiable information protections, making sure that the data is held and only used with right permission. That is just part of being mm-hmm. able to get in the game. If you're not compliant, you're not in the game. So compliance comes first. I think the second piece of this is that that data is so rich and consumers are willing to share information. And for years, CPG brands and others have been buying data from third-party companies like Nielsen and others so that you start understanding what's going on in other stores and pulling things together. We are still in a land rush for data. Mm. And people are putting it together. The question is, how will it actually be used to create new experiences? How will it actually be used to provide new service offerings? You have loyalty program information. You have information about what people like from their music tastes. People sometimes will win tickets, concert tickets, simply by by shopping in stores. and They get entries in, in tickets. All of that information helps come together. And as long as it's done in a respectful way with the right compliance around it, and with the permission, most importantly, the permission of the user, then it's fine because you get something better. The tech companies have been doing this for years. Right. The retail companies 
are learning to do it now. Some are further ahead. We have a very large data science organization at H&M, mm-hmm. and we're, we're looking at not just for dealing with consumers, but improving our supply chain. If we improve our supply chain, we actually get more product to market to the, the consumers want faster. It's all tied together. We yeah. can't look at this as just one experience. Corporations are ecosystems unto themselves, and they need to use the data in order to create end-to-end benefits for everybody. I appreciate this framing as as possibly antagonistic as it might be that, you know, the old data o- o- oligarchs, I think that's been their position basically up until, I want to say, pandemic. Not that they're any less powerful than, than they were beforehand, but we had that memo come out from Google in the wake of ChatGPT, OpenAI, the warning of we don't have a moat and neither does anybody else. I think in light of that, I think there's this sense, you know, across tech that, you know, the days where at least the data side or the front end of of holding all the power, that might be coming to an end. And with the fact that, you know, especially with emerging technologies, these big players don't really have a moat, that it's actually now going to be end user companies that really hold the power. And this is, I think, a space that has a lot of pertinence for retail. You're talking about being able to be really control that end user and being able to meet their concerns for privacy with their information, but still provide them, you know, unique experiences. Are you seeing that that mentality take hold in retail or at least, you know, maybe a turning of the tide in terms of that power from big tech and the data oligarchs as we've described them so far in terms of of companies really realizing the power of of having the end user at their fingertips. Well, you know, I'm going to take exception with one word that you use. Yeah, please. Use the word control. You use yeah, the word control. Yeah. Nobody controls a consumer. The consumer right. it controls themselves. They make their decisions. They avail that information to corporations, brands, and others in order to, to get something back that they want. And, and, yeah. and that could be products and services. So I don't know that a brand or any corporation is ever going to control the information, nor should they. What they need to do is work in partnership with the consumers because we've spent 75 years building a brand Mm -hmm. that people love and trust, and that trust goes both ways. And I think every brand has to look at that, whether it's Coca-Cola from as long as it's been around to others, you're talking about brand trust. And once we have the brand, once there's a a mutual trust that's established between the brands and the, the consumer then new products and services get created. The technology such as microservices approaches, looking at things that are that are mobile first, et cetera, those are just natural evolutions of what's been going on in the tech industry for years. The question is, do corporations have the skill sets internally or do they have to rely on consultancies or agencies or others to understand how to make decisions, new decisions, create these new opportunities with the information that the consumers are now allowing to be used. And what I'm finding when I talk to a lot of large corporations, that's where we're missing. We don't necessarily have all the creativity inside. We don't have the full understanding of how digital works or how digital will be working. And those, I think, are the challenges for large corporations going forward. We tend to try to keep doing the same thing as corporations in general. We are very risk averse. Innovation is very, very hard. And when tech comes in with something new, the question is, how are you going to innovate? And many times that comes from the outside. And I'll throw out the old term, open innovation. Right. Corporations need to figure out how to embrace and use open innovation, not to trial things, but how to scale things. And that's the hardest thing for a company. 
Of course. And, it, and just in terms of consultancies versus in-house operations, I know you have very strong feelings about what's the best use of corporations' time in, in terms of in-house. We're going to get to that in another episode. But you know, you've worked at a lot of places, Procter & Gamble, Coca-Cola, H&M. How do you find is the most productive conversation in terms of striking that balance between in-house and consultancies? Do, do you prefer one way or another in terms of the retail space, or does it depend on on the company? It really depends on the company, what you're trying to do, the timing, the breadth of knowledge you have available. You know, corporations spend 90% of their time or more on operations. That's what they should do. It has to be repeatable, especially in retail, in order to have a consistent experience and move forward. I think it's where the consultancies, what they bring to the table, if you may, is the multiple experiences across multiple retailers or multiple corporations or others where they can bring that other experience in and say, how does this apply to you? How do world events that are to, that we have information on, that we have done a lot of research on, how will this affect you? You can't do things in a silo. You can't do things in an environment where you've walled yourself off. Where the, the old, you know, we talked about moats earlier. We were joking around about moats with data. But if you remember years ago, I mean, many centuries ago, people built castles with walls because they thought it was, you couldn't get, there was protection. Right. That's how corporations look at things. All of a sudden, somebody invented the cannon and what happened? That's you it. Know, the, 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 the walls started going down. We're at that same point here again. It's happening again, especially with LMM. It's going to happen. The cannons are coming out. It's going to change the corporations. It's going to change the consumers. How are we going to react? Or more importantly, are we just going to react or are we going to try to be proactive for the first time and get ahead of it for this experience in the retail environment going forward? Absolutely. I'm, I'm a musician, so I've, I've most often compared the debut of ChatGPT to like an, the closest we're going to see to an Ed Sullivan moment, you know, for musicians, companies, anything. But I think the invention of the canon is an even more apt metaphor for what's really going on there, just in terms of the industry and moats. I want to go back to one of your answers in terms of, you know, the privacy concerns, the data, what we were talking about with the data oligarchs. And you mentioned brand loyalty and building building that brand loyalty as being a big priority for retail. I'm sure this specific discipline in terms of brand loyalty has changed tremendously just with the onset of personalization. How do we look at, at brand loyalty now from a data perspective than say we did like even, you know, five, 10 years ago? Well, I mean, yeah, that, that's a real hard question. I, I think know. That, yeah, I'm sorry. You know, each, each, each brand and each area of the world has, has taken different approaches. Yeah, Some have taken the club approach, join my club, or you know, you go back to Dollar Shave Club or something like that, where, where you had to be a member. You have others that were much more open, more department stylish that, that says, here, I've got 50 brands in here, and I'm going to wrap a program around this. So you'll be loyal, not necessarily to the brands, but you're going to be loyal to me because I'm the easiest place to go shopping. You could even say somewhat, that's what Amazon does, right? It's just, right. it gets back to ease and convenience. So I, I think that we all, every every company is is works on building its brand, its brand trust, its brand loyalty, its brand recognition, and it does it in different ways. The major difference is that everything has gone, not everything, but almost everything is going digital now. Yeah, and that the interactions that people have are not driving down the street and looking out the window and seeing the seeing the, the, the brand's advertisement in, in, on, a, on a billboard or in a window or, or, the, or the sign, 
it's with them every single point of the day and that they're awake on their phone. And when you know what? It's not even just when you're awake anymore. I wake up in the morning, I've got notifications from different things that I subscribe to, and they're hitting me first thing in the morning when I wake up. But they, overnight, they've been targeting me. So the advent of, of the, the cell phone, the advent of, of technology targeting personalization, people's willingness to share information has changed everything. And it is an omni experience. I hate to use that term, but it's where I want the information at my fingertips, where I am, wherever I am, and at whatever time I want it. And I want it to appear to be tailored to me right. so that I can experience it. And I think that's the biggest change. We saw it, this, you know, this all started in the 1980s. I hate to say it with the airline industry, with the frequent flyer programs. Right. That's, that's where it goes back to. And that was probably the late 80s as that all started. And now we've seen how that's grown. And even the airline frequent flyer programs are being disintermediated by the credit card companies because the credit card companies are going in and buying up the, the miles points from the different airlines, putting them together with restaurants and others and offering you packages and better loyalty programs to the credit card than you can get from the hotels or from the airlines themselves as well. The same thing is happening in retail. I appreciate the specificity of an extremely open-ended question. And as I was asking, <laughs> I was a little bit like, yeah, that that's a little unfair. But I really, I really appreciate that perspective there. Where you mentioned that everything's digital, something that occurs to me is that, I, I mean, you have different influences now. You have different metrics. You have voice of the customer. The, it, at least getting that feedback or, or knowing about how your brand is talked about is now influencing how we think about you know brand loyalty from the customer. But in my mind, and this is just from the outset, definitely tear me apart, Correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, it seems like you can't just take a positive voice of the customer for granted because that doesn't necessarily mean a bottom line change. Like it seems like you have to look at brand loyalty as a much deeper sense than just you know a guy on Twitter saying American Airlines is great or or you know like Dove soap is fantastic. Yeah, what what relationship does that have to the bottom line? Well, I mean, I, I think that you know, you look at the long tail, right? It's, it's yep. not we've moved out of this transactional mode into the long tail. We want things that are going to have. In, in the tech industry, we talk about the ARR of, of companies and looking at what's what's the ongoing revenue. You have to look at the same thing with your consumers and your customers. It's if you're in it for a single transaction, you'll get that transaction because you're getting an immediate need met. Right. But if you want to have that relationship that and be able to actually participate in somebody's life and their lifestyle over a period of time, you have to have a different relationship with that person. Is that like strictly, you know, taken care of or at least becoming a discipline within what we talk about in customer journeys, customer experiences, or is it or is it bigger than that in terms of the conversations right at the top? Well, I, I think that when you when you look at in any one of these, any type of brand trust or any type of loyalty, what you're looking at is it's just a fragment or a a slice of somebody's life that you're participating in. Right. The question is, how do you become, maybe not just yourself, but how do you extend and understand more slices or more pieces of these fragments so that you can really understand what your what the person is that you're, you're interacting with wants and needs and desires? I always look at myself and I say, what am I wearing today? Yeah. I'm wearing a I'm wearing shoes from one company, socks from another, a watch from a third, a t-shirt from a fourth, a yeah. shirt, a pant. And this is representing my lifestyle as I want to be seen in the public today when I'm out. And there's about seven different or eight different brands that I have an association with. I go over, I reach over here and I pick up something to drink. That's my eighth or ninth brand. Yeah. But each one only knows about that transaction I had with them. 
right? except for the data oligarchs, except for these large marketplaces. And a retailer is at a disadvantage until we can get to 360 degree view or a expanded view of who this individual is that may or may not have anything to do or be correlated with anything that I historically thought about them in a given brand or product that they're using or service they're using. This is some really great stuff. And I know we're, we're at least right at the end of our first session here. So, so let me, let me squeeze this in. So it's really like not even just being interested in the voice of the customer and how they're talking about your brand, but really about how they're talking about retailers at large and then finding out where your relationship is as, as compared to everybody else. That sounds ultimately challenging but tell us about the the challenges that that go into that just in ter- I know as you said it's the data is being held by the data oligarchs but you know these retailers are not without resources how are they trying to put the feelers out there well I, I think you know in, in in certain spaces you're seeing more collaborations yeah that are going on and you see two or three brands that'll collaborate and and bring a product sets forward we're seeing that in you know, whoever thought Barbie would end up in a movie, you know, <laughs> right. You know, we're, we're, and we're seeing things like this occur. And of course, then those companies have licensed Barbie to produce clothing. Now they're going to get the halo effect of that. So how do they tie that together? So it's getting all of this information. But what this then takes is trust between the brands, trust between the third parties, that there's something here for all of us to share and we will all do better. And it's only going to happen when the consumer says, I want something different than what you, that what you're offering today, and I need I need it to work with these two or three other things. Yeah, wow. I mean, I've always been a big fan of the Lego Movie just as a piece of entertainment, but now now I'm thinking of I, I look at that as the be, the beginning of at least crossover between retail products. You know, really moving into the the filmmaking space. So that that's had like a, a much larger trend across industries and, and is a catalyst for for you know this this kind of collaboration is is really something else to look at it as as you know something else other than just a fun movie for kids. It re- really cool, especially even to even break apart the new Barbie movie for a second from this perspective. But Alan, thank you so much for being with us this week. This has been a real mind-blowing conversation. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much for having me. Before wrapping up today's episode, I think it's worth putting a finer point on what Alan had to say about these sort of micro-generational trends that we're seeing in data and demographics. I think more to the point, it's that data provides us such a clear and nuanced picture of what we used to think of as generational monoliths or even location-based monoliths, all people in a certain country or of a certain age acting a certain way. And realizing that there are a lot of individual choices and therefore a lot of ways to classify people into groups based on data points that will support a business's bottom line. And when we start to leverage these tools to greater effect, we get a much more colorful picture, a much more nuanced picture of what everyone's needs are and what everyone's expectations are, especially in the retail space where slowly but surely personalization is becoming everything. And I think that was a theme we really stuck to on today's show. On behalf of Daniel and the entire team here at Emerge, thanks so much for joining us today. And we'll catch you next time on the AI and Business Podcast.